and fellow Pilates lovers. Welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast, where we're having rich and every so often out there conversations about the movement and mindset of Pilates and how it just might help us all to be better humans in a happier community. I'm James Crater, and while I am mostly a movement investigator and consummate nerd, I'm also the owner of Evolved Body Studio in Sacramento, California, and your often co-host here at Thinking Pilates. I'm joined in this wild venture by my dear friends and colleagues, Chantel Lopez and Deborah Colway. The Thinking Pilates podcast is not only a passion project, but a critical platform for sharing and holding open discussions about movement and teaching. So if you love what we're doing and the mood strikes, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, like our Facebook page, or share favorite episodes with whomever will listen. And if you do all three, that'd be pretty sweet too, because your support matters. After the show, we'll give you some more details about how you can connect with each of us and uh, probably some details about any upcoming events or projects that we have going down. Quick note before we get started, we love words. And sometimes in our enthusiasm, some of our favorite words happen to have four letters. We hope you love all the words enough that even if you're sensitive to the savory, you've enjoyed your time with us too much to care. So friends, whether you're relaxing, exploring, or in the midst of squeezing some kind of muscle, let's get ready to think Pilates. Hi, everybody. We have a really great show for you. A super, super sweet conversation with a woman that many of you know. Jenna Safino is on with James and I this time around the founder and creator of Pilates Unfiltered podcast, and so, so, so much more. Really a driving force in our community and really bringing to the table literally so much heart and soul into the work. So excited to share that with you. It really is the perfect way to bring our season two to a close. Now we're not quite done. We've got one more really wonderful interview to share with you after this. And then James and Deborah and I will be doing a debrief and we'll have one teacher debrief for you. Kind of the way we closed season one, (laughs) the gargantuan, gargantuan season one. But alas, we need to get going. So let's jump in and see what beautiful, sweet things we have for you in this episode. Let's get this dog and pony show on the road, shall we? (laughs) 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 Hmm. I am in good spirits. <laughs> oh my God, speaking of spirit, maybe we should just dive in. Let's say hello. Hi, Jenna. Safino, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Oh, I'm good. Good. I'm happy friend, to be here. Friend from far away. I know. Yeah, oh, me too. Yeah. It's very cool. It's a, it's a, it's a momentous occasion for, yeah. for us, but maybe not for anybody else, but. Um, <laughs> well, anytime James, you get to so anytime you get to make these like actual in person slash online connections, it feels like like a, a hurdle or a milestone has been yeah. reached. A milestone for sure, it, and it's so weird. I mean, the way that now there are these many steps that have to happen, right, to establish yeah. relationship, and it's it's so weird that like to kind of sit with like the different dynamics of relationship, and we have had this strange you know kind of circumventing yeah Um, and and it's really it is really nice to be talking to and particularly I think for me really meaningful to be talking to you about this subject which we're gonna I'm just gonna be a little coy about it for the moment but we'll Mm -hmm. get there James hi hi everyone Hi. <laughs> I feel um, like it's it, a momentous it, occasion too, because I feel like it's like a like a friend circle closing in like a good way, mm. like a loop <laughs> coming back around. Yeah, <laughs> we yes. need like a ceremony. Oh, right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we'll have we'll have to reenact it at some point when we're in in person with one another um, through through interpretive dance. I'm into it. Oh, okay. yes. Awesome. Love. Yes. 
Yes, I have the perfect technique for interpretive dance. They will not tell you. Don't you worry. I've got lots of that up my sleeve. So, so um, it, there's a there's an interesting ambiance for me uh, as we move into this conversation because one, I'm really sick, and two, it's kind of late at night ish. I mean, it's dark outside, so. I don't know. It's an interesting to step into this conversation. I've, when I get sick, I feel like really emotional and tender. And so, um, there is some great chance that I might actually start crying as we're talking mm-hmm. today, but you know, who knows? Um, but I, I mean, let's just, let's just out ourselves here. We're going to talk about spirit and whatever the hell that means exactly. <laughs> which is kind of like, I've been thinking about this and I have been thinking like, I don't want to be too precious about the whole thing. Right. And because I, I actually think it is something that we are all considering in some way all the time as teachers, particularly because we are in relationship with our students and we are in deep meaningful relationship with ourselves. I think for me personally, in a way through teaching that uh, besides being a parent, I think um, I I really haven't had the same experience um, with it. And so I do think that we're having this, you know, kind of inner dialogue all the time, no matter what we call it. And we had a conversation recently um, where we stepped, James and I stepped into this, uh, I mean, it was like stepping through, you know how in the movies, like a a kid is like walking along through the old abandoned yard of a house and they step through the boarded up well. I feel like we had this moment where we fell through the broken board (laughs) straight down. And it, it was like, there was this moment where it could have been and ended up eventually being like, you know, like softening and kind of, getting clear but at first it was like break and down and thud and like quiet like in like nowhere to go and the question was like essentially define spirituality and it's like okay that's not gonna work (laughs) just not gonna work for us the the answer is no (laughs) the answer is no (laughs) um And, and we have touched on it, you know, Deborah and I early on in this, uh, in this um, podcast touched on it in a lot of different ways, I think, because she and I tend to kind of ruminate from that perspective quite a lot. And then James and I have talked about it, not specifically, we haven't named it, I think, maybe, maybe on occasion. Um, So here is, here is what I would like to do is, Jenna, when I was thinking about how to bring some richness to this conversation, because I do think it's a conversation that needs to be more overt. Mm. Um, I was considering, and what I shared with you earlier was like, let's not just ask the question because Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that it matters what the answer is. But what I am really curious about is if you, if there is a moment, like some powerful, rich, meaningful, like turning point moment in your teaching where you feel like you can identify this idea as being present, like, can you, can we start there? Like, can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, if it's all right, I think I want to give a little bit of, um, a tiny bit of backstory as to where maybe this moment came from. Um, okay. So the whole body, mind, spirit element has been kind of a vernacular that everyone is using and has used. But what I kept coming up against in many ways in the Pilates world was that we, we were saying a lot about the body and at the time, a little bit about the mind and pretty much nothing about spirit. And it was almost inferred that if you got your body physically and mechanically where it needed to be, then then the spirit box and the mind box were checked as well. And mm-hmm. I didn't 
I never really questioned it so much until I was introduced to Ron Fletcher, who was a man and a teacher who embodied spirit like anyone from an extremely personal place within his own journey. He had a grandmother who was Native American. He had deep interest in those roots. He, he danced with some of the founders of modern dance, including Mar- Martha Graham, and her work for so long was deeply rooted in Greek and Roman mythology. So there was a lot of exploration of kind of formalized spirituality, if you will. And then he also um, went through the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that is so deeply infused with the thought of God it, it, as it's mm-hmm. defined um, sp- pretty p- specifically to that organization that, that he had a lot of different kind of spiritual tools to draw from. But the way that spirit manifested in the classes where he was really just kind of in the zone, let's say, is, is through energy. And the mm. first time I saw it with him it was like I noticed him looking at something that was perceived to be in his hand, and I wanted to know what it was. And that I just remember thinking that and wondering if I would ever know what that was like, because he was so present and in the moment that it was attractive and it wasn't performance, it was embodiment. And so yeah. later much, much later. And let me tell you that I tried to make that moment happen for my students and continuing education forums and things of that nature many times over. I'm a performer. I was performing the moment of spirit. <laughs> and even to a degree in like some of the syllabi that we were, we were teaching, spirit was defined as the total embodiment of all of the Pilates movement principles and was referenced to as being Ron. That didn't really rub me the right way because I knew Ron didn't want to be God and I knew I didn't want to look at Ron as God, you know? So it was, there is this question as to, okay, if this body, mind, spirit thing is happening, like where the heck is this, this spirit element? And I think that where it manifested for me was definitely in that, that area outside of, you know, the comfort zone. So. I would start to explore a concept that I found fascinating, but that had nothing to do with exercise proper. And in the exploration of that, if I could make it past the discomfort of, you know, nerves or ego or insecurity jumping in, if I could make it over that hurdle and drop in, then I could experience an embodiment of the energy that I believe that I saw in Ron and others in my life, an embodiment of being in alignment with my voice as a teacher, my purpose as a human being, my, my role as a collabor- collaborator with my clients. Um, and there is a groundedness that would happen for me that I couldn't actually define, but I know exactly what it feels like. And I would say today, I know much better how to access that. But at the time, it was kind of um, like a bonus that would happen. (laughs) And something maybe I would chase after, but I didn't know how to pull that alignment together regularly, at least. Mm-hmm. So Jenna, can I ask, uh, just from an experiential standpoint, what does it feel like for you to perform spirituality rather than embody spirituality? Um, well, performance is much sparklier. Um, there's a lot of razzmatazz. No, um, you know, performance puts me in my, um, in the balls of my feet. Mm -hmm. Edge, um, lifted and not, it lifted in a disconnected way. Mm-hmm. Um, like my diaphragm's up in my throat. I'm speaking mm-hmm. from the back of my throat instead of from the base of who I am. Um, there's a lot of, I'm, I'm like feeling it right now. There's a lot of breath, like, like shallow breathing mm-hmm. and it's fast. It's really mm-hmm. fast. Yeah. And what? when I'm, go, go ahead. 
Oh no, I'm just curious. I mean, it's it's clear you're experiencing it now. It's like when we can when we tap into that felt sense, like you can be, you're reliving it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering like what on the other side, like how in that moment when when you have been aware of performing spirituality, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. What is it like with your student? Like, what's the relationship like with your student? Can you identify that there is something different there in the way that you are relating or the way that they are able to relate to you? Um, you know, it, it, like, just to be frank, it, it, it really sucks. It's like everything mm-hmm. you don't want in that moment, because I work with a, a primarily oh. older women in the one-on-one, um, clientele setting and that my younger clients are usually teachers. So there's a different level of conversation happening. But when you're, Mm -hmm. when I'm in a moment of kind of like forcing it to happen, or I'm in that up state, there's almost a sense of, um, like that they're, that they're, they're patronizing me in a way where they're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. That's cute with your ideas, but can we get back to our (laughs) our butt? You know, (laughs) like, okay, there she goes again. And I've had that moment a lot. And so it's a, it's a triggery yuck moment because I've always, I've always been the type of person who's wanted to push the boundaries of thought on many different subjects. However, that's not always comfortable, accepted, or welcomed in in different forums. So I've had that moment with like friends when I was younger, like, wait, what are you even, what are you talking about? That's not cool. Or, you know, something, something that I bring up that I think is funny or interesting. And people are like, Oh, you're, you're just a little weird. And that, that's what it feels like. It feels like, it feels like that you're, you're just being, um, you're, you're being, uh, humored through something that you feel is very important. And then that can be very disheartening, which is probably why more people don't explore it. Cause I'm sure I'm not the only one with that experience. No, definitely not. <laughs> well, that's, it's interesting too, because I think that um, one of the reasons why I said like, I don't want to be too precious about this whole thing is just because I think that we make it um, like if we could call it bridging the gap right between like showing up to, to teach and educate versus, versus also showing up to really hold space for being in relationship with somebody and also facilitating them being in relationship with themselves. Um, when we make, when we think like, ah, it's outside of my scope, I need to make sure I'm really like quiet about this aspect of what I experience as, you know, spirit or richness or, I mean, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that it makes people afraid and uncomfortable, as you're saying, because we think it's a big deal. And I don't mean to say that it's not a big deal, like it's maybe the biggest deal, but it's not, it's, it just is about being human with another human. Exactly. I just think that's, we do make too much of it by making it obsolete in some way, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, And I think that, you know, the perceived definition of spirit is that you're going to jam some rhetoric of some religion down someone's throat. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the thing that um, I discovered this year in really exploring, I guess what I'll refer to as the human experience that I guess we're all exploring, but I actually taught a course by that name. And I was looking into the history of belief systems. And the thing that rang really, really true for me is that belief systems, this is the crib note version, but belief systems really are the gateway to a tribe, a culture, a group of people's identity. They're like where they came from, where they're going later after they go, and what they're here to do. So if Mm -hmm. you are challenging that belief system in a way that seems like you're 
wanting to prove or convince or change the way someone thinks about something and you're not doing it with a respect with the respect that needs to be there from a standpoint of this is a human who's coming to the table with their own belief system if you're trying to impart new thoughts in someone's brain then you really mm. have to do it from from a standpoint of expanding perspectives instead of changing their belief system and i mm-hmm. don't know that 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 nuance has been explored to the degree that we're capable of because i think again like you're saying it's really really new so we've mm-hmm. we've had a lot of tenants set up in our industry to keep us playing small as human beings like don't touch right. the client in certain ways um mm-hmm. the scope of practice thing like don't pay attention to your client who's trying who's crying or something because you're not qualified right. to with their problem like those uh, things the, i mean it's all nice on paper but when you're in the moment where you know, you have a client who's divulging their deepest, darkest, darkest secrets because you've just unknowingly opened up something within their pelvis. It's like, okay, what do I do with this moment? And you have to, I think it's our responsibility as educators to empower our teachers to be able to acknowledge that they're working with humans not to empower them to do something that's beyond what they're capable of doing, but empower them to, to be human beings with the humans that they're teaching. And, and that really is an element of, of spirit, of bringing spirit into the room, because there's energy between mm-hmm. those two people. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I don't know what else I have to say. I mean, I think that's so true. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm like, I, I mean, I'm just getting started. I'm like, my heating, my little, um, what, do, what do you call it? Uh, God, I can't think of it. It's a jade heating pad, but I can't think mm-hmm. of the name of it but it's a spiritual tool. No, it's, but I'm like, this is just getting warm. Give me another second and I could go on and on for days, but here's the deal. I mean, I think, I think what it is, is that the lack, the lack of spirit conversation in our industry, if we're talking about Pilates at large is simply because we haven't taken the time to explain it for ourselves or to explore it, excuse me, to explore it for ourselves. If we don't have a dialogue as a teacher of what it means to have an element of spirit in the room, or if spirit is not the word that a person likes, an element of energy beyond just the the heat that's being produced by the body, then we don't know how to access it on the regular. We don't know how to bring it into our clients' lives. We don't know how to experience a moment of magic. We don't know how to appropriately celebrate a miracle of awareness or realization or an aha moment. And I think the, 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 the opposite of spirit to me in my world is, is ego in a non-healthy way. Um, Mm. and, and that's, I think that that is actually what people are afraid of is that by talking spirit, we're going to invite some, we're going to invite people into, you know, say they're a Messiah or a prophet or something like that. When in reality, what we're talking about is humanity, recognizing Mm -hmm. that we're people with people working with people and there are really no rules, but there's a really unique opportunity to, see what happens when we are allow ourselves to relate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do think it is that there has been a lack of exploration and because it has been, uh, as you said, in the very beginning of our conversation, we have given a lot of, um, you know, like body, mind, spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, everybody avoids the spirit part. I mean, we're having maybe the conversation with our closest um, friends and colleagues or our dearest students, but we are certainly not having it um, explicitly. And yeah. uh, it, it, it makes me think of too, like what about if, you know, if spirit is not the word you, you're grooving on, like what, um, 
at one point I had a conversation with Elizabeth Larkham about this idea of entrainment, right, with your student where after some time you really don't have to say anything, that there's a sense of awareness of each other's presence. And so on this, if we think of spirit maybe as a spectrum, um, it feels like what about presence, like as spirit, right? Presence, being with somebody. And it it also plays or comes back around, I think, for me to what you were saying earlier, Jenna, about performing versus, you know, like really just authentically being open and vulnerable yeah. to, to what's in front of you. And to me, my experience of that is presence, is like, un, uh, you know, like just untethered presence for myself, like being able to observe myself really honestly and with a lot of kindness and, and to do the same for my students. Mm. Yeah. I have, I just have a sense. Well, it's, I guess it's, it goes into my belief system that presence is elusive when you haven't addressed presence with others is elusive when you haven't addressed the presence with your own self. And mm-hmm. <laughs> with with whatever it is that you tap into as your 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 core source of life, energy, inspiration, and one of my teachers, Gabby Bernstein, references when she talks about spirit or references a religious term as like God or Jesus. It's like they're they're just different names, but for everybody spirit is going to be something of their own understanding. So here I am a person who did not grow up with organized religion. As far as we were concerned, nature was our religion and when was, you know, from Boston where Catholic friends were, you know, by the masses and, and didn't, didn't have a, a, a religious community per se to pull from. So when it comes to spirituality or the, the, the topic of spirit, I, I didn't have much to say for a long, long time. I knew what it felt like to be energetically inspired and I knew what it felt like to be um, pulled in the direction of something without a good reason, you know, just being being led, so to speak. But until much later, um, and, and definitely much more recently over the past few years, I didn't have a dialogue surrounding what I believed spirit to be because I hadn't created it. And I hadn't created that relationship with myself. And the more grounded I've become in my spiritual practice, my beliefs, my relationship with the energy that I, you know, refer to called the universe, call it sometimes it's, it's my inner critic Cheryl that's part of that energy. You know, sometimes <laughs> it's like there's a, lot, there's a lot of different elements to it that have come with me. It come from me really sitting and considering and testing out some theories set forth by others and deciding what worked with me and what didn't. And now what I find is that, that the act of presence is, is so much more accessible to me with others because I'm, I'm, because I know what it means to be present with myself. And, and like you're saying, like that presence is not precious for me. It's not always ritualistic. I do have a three and a half year old. So let's just call a spade a spade. You know, sometimes that presence is a deep breath. Sometimes it's just feeling both feet on the ground. Um, but the thing is, is that you can't expect to tap into a source um, for others if you haven't done it for yourself. You can't really give what you what you haven't got. So I do think that the expectation um, when we talk about, especially for new teachers, when we talk about vulnerability and authenticity and presence, it's like these are things that somehow they're going to learn in chapter seven. But right, right. But our, our teacher training programs are not talking about the human moment when your client turns to you and says, my brother's on a ventilator and I don't know how to deal with this because I had to take my husband off the ventilator years ago after mm-hmm. his aneurysm and I'm right back in that space. What do mm-hmm. I do? And, I, you right. know, like real true story that happened the other day. Now I'm not 
I'm not any qualification to tell her what to do, but I'm a human being who can put myself in that position. And I know what it's like to be in suffering. And I know what it's like to be in a safe place and be able to talk about that suffering. And I know what it's like to hold space for that suffering because I've held space for my own suffering. And Mm. so I was able to really sit with her for a moment in that situation and say to her that it was okay to speak her needs and it was also okay not to take care of everyone else. And that's in my scope of practice. I don't care who says, I don't care what's written down. That is in my scope (laughs) of practice. You know what? And then we went on and we did some leg and footwork and it was a much more pleasurable uh, scenario because she was empowered and she felt energized because of that empowerment and she was able to be excited about her movement and she had a purpose when she left and if that's not spirit like i don't know what is so as i'm listening to the conversation um i think you i think you said something really important there jenna that is some people maybe just naturally get, but I think it's a learned quality of, of what it actually means when someone says to hold space mm-hmm. for someone. And that's a cultivated felt sense that is filled with, with stillness, that's filled mm-hmm. with a really rich um, negative space. And I think that as movement instructors, we're really used to a doingness <laughs> and we're used to words and we're used to fix and we're used to performance. And I think, you know, as, as I'm listening, you know, to me, when I hear performance, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing filling of space, you know, like mm-hmm. there's, I, I'm, I'm trying to fill, I am purposely trying to fill you with something. Mm-hmm. And embodiment yeah. to me is just, I'm, I'm here. And whether you want to resonate with that or not, I'm here. And when I hear hold space, it's like, I'm just going to be here and let you know I'm here with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, that is probably missing from most teacher training programs is, you know, after you've learned how to teach and after you've learned how to run your business, like, what does it actually begin to feel like once you, once you understand all that to just be you in a space? <laughs> Are you be allowed that, though? Yeah. <laughs> like, is that yeah, a right. thing? <laughs> you know? that, that, to me, I mean, like, what could be the higher, what could be a higher marker of spirituality than just being you? Yeah, well, right. and um, from my experience, I mean, that the you-ness that was, um, was offered or, you know, to bring your own voice that the voice that was expected, the voice that was being expected from me in many cases was a curated voice. Yeah. So, and I think that happens a lot. It's like, be you in the way that I'm telling you to be you. Yeah. And I think, right, I mean, right. we're just like, we're so concerned of um, selling our clients Pilates still. So they think it's the best. I mean, we, the collective, we we're yeah. so concerned yeah. about like the sale as if the stock's going to go public or something. We're yeah. so concerned about it. And <laughs> or then, as yeah. if you lose, you know, if, if you lose that client, like there's not going to be another one to occupy the space. Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's total, it's complete and total, you know, fear-based, like I've got to make them know the exercises and know who Joseph was and all of it. And at the end of the day, all of that is beautiful and nice and it lends itself to the culture. But if you don't have people who are having a deep experience with themselves, that's facilitated by movement educators who have a lot more to say than, than a count of eight, then, you know, I don't, I don't, they're going to be, their head is going to be turned to the next shiny object and and it's not going to matter how much they know about Joseph Pilates or not. Mm-hmm. 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 Hmm. I was just thinking about what you said, Jenna, about like being human and that is within our scope of practice. And it's just so funny to me, you know, it's like, <laughs> uh, yes, be human. Being human is within your scope of practice because yeah. you are showing <laughs> up, you know, for, 
for another person. And, and it is, uh, you know, I had some, some other, you know, big, bright thought about that after you said it, but I just Mm -hmm. think it's, it is so interesting that, um, I don't know, a couple of things come to mind. I mean, like developmentally, right? Like it is, it's a progressive um, experience, right? Moving from being a new teacher, it's like you color within the lines and you, it's like, that's, that's warranted, right? There is, mm-hmm. we are, we are learning how to um, decipher movement. We are learning how to teach movement. We are learning how to decipher movement in a body, like all of those things um, are important and, and yet at some point being you, I think that's why it's so critical that we're having these kinds of conversations where other people can, you know, tap into and go, Oh, I can, I can think about these things. I can practice these things. I mean, to come around to what you said earlier about, you know, presence. And if I'm not practicing presence with myself, how can I practice presence with somebody else? Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that's true for everything. How can, if I'm not practicing kindness or compassion or love for myself, how can I really be truly practicing that with or for somebody else? And, you know, I think that comes when we, after, and it's different for everybody, obviously, but after we have settled in a bit, right, to Mm -hmm. the what of what we're doing and the how of what we're doing it, then through, um, and not everybody has this because I think not everybody has a role model, right? Not everybody has somebody to look to, to see that it's so much more than just the what and the how. But I I, I do think that indeed we can set the tone or set the stage or build the foundation um, for that in teacher training you know, there are many, many seeds. I think it's never too early to plant. And and I have had this discussion with so many teacher trainers and educators, like it's not too soon. I I am of the mind that it is never too soon to start to ask people to consider the relationship that they're getting into, that they're agreeing to be in with their students. Not everybody agrees with that in the beginning, but I do think that ultimately that manifests when we are able to see this presence, like you described in the beginning um, with Ron, you know, there's something, you see it and and you witness it. And the more you can witness it, the more perhaps it leads you to um, questioning and, and, you know, questioning whether or not there is something more than just the what and the how. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's kind of the I'll call it the gray area just because it's not that explored as of yet, but it's, it's in your work with your master's program and skillful teaching in my work Mm -hmm. with, with teachers and, um, and coaching them into their own. It's like the, the teacher training model in many ways as it's set up is to give them a lot of information and ask them to master some skills and then look at the practice of those things in real time with clients to, to hone them in. And then the next thing to do is to get more training, to get more detailed on certain skills with populations and maybe some new equipment and more information and more information. And the thing to your point about the developmental process, and I I was just actually doing, exploring this a little bit um, in uh, a post is uh, that this idea or this thing that happens with, let's say children, which is imitation. It's Mm -hmm. parroting. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, copycatting. And, and what they're doing really is they're trying on different movements, different ways of being, different emotions, different expressions, different languages and things like that. They're trying it on for size to see what gets sticky. And if it's something that has some real kind of emotional self-worth value or something that they find themselves repeating over and over and over again, or something, you know, that somebody else thinks is, is awesome, then, you know, our brains will do the best they can to wire that pattern down and in. 
And that's cool because as you know, if we had to think about every single movement that we ever saw in our life, we, we would get nowhere, but we would get nowhere. So what's interesting about that process though, is when we're looking at a child into adulthood, like they also have experiences as human beings that shape the way that they make their future choices using the information they have downloaded into their body. So you have this kind of external factor that is who they are in their life on the daily, who they interact with, what they learn and things like that, that might cause them to walk a different way with the pattern that they have in their body. You know, it has a different influence. So when we're looking at the model of teacher training, we have this thing set up, which is essentially asking for copycatting, you know, do as I say, make this shape, feel it this way in all of it. And we're working with adults primarily who are becoming teachers and we don't take into account the experiences that they've had prior. And I'm talking like life experiences, not injuries per se, though they're Mm -hmm. important, Mm -hmm. but we don't take into account the life experiences that they've had prior to this intense movement download. And we also don't give them credit for the life experiences that will come when they're teaching on their own to other humans. Then I think what we end up breeding is kind of a mimicry, which if you look into the definition of what mimicry is, it's kind of, it's um, like a parody of something. So you, mm-hmm. I think we're running the risk of having teachers who are doing their best to do what they've been told and doing their best to copycat and mimic. But if they don't have the opportunity to bring in their own experiences and their own voice, then they lose the authenticity. And then it ends up being just like, oh, that's Jane teaching Jenna's stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it doesn't land as, as valuable. That well, was a long then, explanation, but I hope that made sense. <laughs> no, it makes total sense because yeah. in my head, it's yeah. like, can you imagine how that proliferates through, uh, you know, uh, bodies that they work with? You know, that's that, that yeah. of the work becomes what is put out there and what is then taught. And then that the mimicry of that, and it's like this slow dilution of what, you know, the authentic movement or the, uh, the experience of the gesture could feel like or could be becomes, you know, a, a more and more whittled down version of mimicry. Yeah. And yeah. so a teaser well, kind of looks like a teaser across the board, but does anyone have anything to say about the way they feel about doing a teaser? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's always just so funny that the teaser is the thing that we, we all, all talk about. Teasers, that poor teaser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it is also, I think, what breeds dogma, right? It is, it, and these rules, and, and this is something that, you know, I've talked about very explicitly, and I, James and Anula are talking about it in a different kind of way. It's a conversation that is so old about, you know, this is the way you do this thing. It, yeah. it, it just breeds dogma. And it is, I don't think that hard. And I'm just going to, I'm going to say it, shift. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> I can't help it. Um, it the, just to shift it, right, a little bit to begin to say yes. And, and I know that this is what I strive to do in my teacher training, whether I do it well or not. I mean, we could take a poll, but um, <laughs> it's, it's like this, this is a way and th- this is the reason behind this way and what is your experience and what do you see um just to begin i think to uh hold the learning in a way that allows for discernment very early on and again i think people would argue some people would argue that it is not possible to discern for oneself too early on. And I do not agree. I do not agree. I I think that early on, we will not come to the same 
answers, right? Well, what's, Our, if what's I say, early on, like early on, like maybe at two years old, but when you're teaching 30 somethings, they're discerning on a regular basis. Exactly. Why do we have to mystify Pilates to the point where, right. you know, yeah. let's, they, they strategized how to get out of bed. You know, why can't they pay their taxes? Many of them are on their second or third careers or marriages. They've strategized through right. that. They can't discern the difference between a V at this angle and another. Come on. <laughs> that's what I, I just want to say I to mean, everybody. Come I, on. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's what I think too. I think it's not too early. They are adults, right? They are, they are learning adults. They are, I mean, like I had a conversation with a, a woman who was in the teacher training recently and um, I came to learn so much about her and she was so smart and so interesting. And she had all of this um, knowledge and perspective. And I, I you know, it's like, I did not see that mm-hmm. in her teaching. And I wondered, because I do feel like I am aware of cultivating, you know, a trust in the student, in the teacher, right? Like trust mm-hmm. yourself. Like you don't have to be teaching for, uh, you know, a hundred years in order to see like, that looks weird. Like that looks strange. Like, how's that feeling? Oh, that doesn't feel good. All right, let's do something different. Like we, we don't give our teachers in training credit enough, right, for having yeah. all of this ability, right, and history of, as you say, like they've been discerning for X, and X amount of years. Um, I mean, but if you give that trust to a teacher who's in training and you're training and somehow you as the leader, as the teacher at the helm are missing some connection to source, then that is way vulnerable and super scary and unsafe to do. Mm. Because what if that person who comes in and just has a passion for movement and wants to learn the vocabulary of Pilates, but maybe they're in, uh, you know, maybe they're an astrophysicist in another life, right? But now we're going to dumb them down to not knowing the exercises and we're not going to give them credit for that. Um, that I, from from my perspective, that is a very ripe place. If I'm a teacher trainer who needs some ego stroking, keeping that person at a really low level in my world, mm-hmm. that allows me to stay in a comfortable ego space. But right, right. when I when I acknowledge them, and it doesn't mean because they've got this life experience that they have everything to say about Pilates, but we're acknowledging that this is a skill set and a vocabulary, a language, a movement modality, whatever you want to call it, a technique, methodology that has some tenets in it. So you you should learn those because that's what defines what we do, even though we can't do that yet. Um, Right. And then, you know, and then, but also it's interesting to me because maybe you're going to go teach other astrophysicists how to do this movement. So you'll need to know how to right. say something about the teaser to them in, in a context that they understand. So when we start to, like, if we can start to create a vocabulary, if we can be confident or be trusting enough to create that vocabulary, then we can really bring more interesting voices to the table. I just think that Mm -hmm. I I think that the way things have been set up, it's way too scary and way too fearful to go there. Well, I mean, that gets right back to that spirit conversation of allowing people to show up as themselves and teach the thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. instead of this is what a Pilates teacher Instead of the conversation of a Pilates teacher teaches these exercises, it's like, well, there's a person and they're helping people and they're using this vessel, these movements to help people. And that creates the space for people to show up as themselves. And that creates um, the environment for people to appreciate you know, differences in people. I think when we get into that conversation of the only thing I have to offer are these exercises and I have to keep other people down in order to make it look Mm -hmm. like I really Mm -hmm. know how to do these, you know, like if our only gauge of how good of a Pilates instructor am I is like, how well, how much better can I teach (laughs) exercise? (laughs) And that's a competition, right? That becomes, and, and, and to what end? I mean, I don't know how you teach better to someone else. But I mean, if it's just about teaching the exercise and it's just about that, and there's space for nothing else in this profession, 
then you see that. Yeah. I mean, then that makes sense, right? Then what you don't need spirituality, but if it's about people being with people, then there needs to be more than the teaser. Yeah. There just does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I, I think that I'm going to make a big blanketed statement and then do if somebody, if they do it, here we go. <laughs> I think every Pilates teacher is after one thing and one thing only, and that is the aha moment. Mm-hmm. I think the aha moment is, is the, it's, it's everything. When the client makes and and realization has that pivotal sparkle come across their face when they go, oh, when they have the aha moment or when we have it in our own body, whether it's movement-based or under, understanding a concept better or being able to articulate something in a way that sounds really good and we're like, yeah, I really know what I'm talking about. The aha <laughs> moment is what we're really, really all after at the heart of everything. And the aha moment is energy. Mm-hmm. It's a complete alignment with the energy that brings you into flow with whatever it is you're trying to do. There's no struggle. You're not working upstream. You're downstream, enjoying the ride. Everything is good. So if that's the truth, and I believe it is, and we're not talking about creating and cultivating an environment that has space for spirit or energy or or what have you interpersonal connectivity then i think we're just shooting ourselves in the foot mhm yeah absolutely and i think that's why we're having this conversation yeah right <laughs> and that's yeah. it oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh spirit <Good>. yeah <laughs> Thank you I so mean, much, Jenna, I, for joining us. It's, I mean, anytime I get to talk to you is a lovely, lovely talk, but this one in particular is, is a, a nice conversation to have with you in particular. It is. I, I think so too. I think so too. It was so interesting for me too, because it, as I said to you, you know, in an email, Jenna, it's like James and I have been talking about having you on the podcast. And when this came up, it was like, it just felt like the perfect invitation and Mm -hmm. it it just could not have been a a more wonderful conversation so thank you so much for that oh thank you yeah it was my pleasure it's nice to have a form to um to go there you know where we don't always have that form to go and hopefully it'll start more conversations i like i think the other thing about spirit that's so abundantly true to me is that it is the number one way to create a ripple effect and your mm. own your mm. own splash doesn't even need to be that big, but yeah, yeah. I have one. I have one question, and this is last question. This is in honor of the teachers that are listening. Which is, where do they start? Like, what if you were going to say, you know, for a teacher who maybe has felt that there is something more for them in their teaching or they have begun to tap into something or they haven't, but they know that it's there. Like what, what do you say to them? Like how do they begin to bring this into, um, you know, more into the forefront, both from a, a inner personal experience of exploration or, or, you know, rumination, um, but then also into their, into their practice of the teaching craft. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a three-part kind of answer. The first part is to be still <laughs> because the doing and the forcing and the trying and the making, it does not lend itself to an easy, smooth shift, if you will, into alignment with what it is you're actually after. And and what it is we're actually after is is again that connection to to the source energy of who who it is we are. And and that can feel really big and really complicated. But when you have a practice of stillness, you can better better glean how 
how distracted you might be from the ability to to get grounded, to be still, and and to just hold that space for yourself. And the second part of that is is to listen. So whether you are listening for your own internal dialogue, and maybe when you start to listen, it's fast and furious and critical, but it's important to acknowledge what's happening internally because you can have... You can have voices, whether they're your own or whether they would, were unfortunately gifted to you by someone else. You can have forces, <laughs> voices that are driving the show. They're running your show and you might not even know it. And I say a lot of times that we, we are, as humans, we are susceptible of picking up the baggage of our teachers in addition to the lessons that they have to teach. And when we recognize that the bag, their baggage is not ours to take on, then we can be a little more free in the way that we interact with other people because we don't have to live by that, that weight anymore. So you've got stillness, being able to have a practice of stillness. And I'm, I'm kind of like inclined to throw meditation in there, but you know, that's such a big undertaking for a lot of people. So just, just, just sitting still considering pondering, you know, what is it, what is it that I want to bring into this arena? What feels like spirit to me? Do I even want to do this right now? Cause there's no medal for being spiritual. Like it doesn't, there's not a (laughs) certificate for that. Oh, um, shoot. I know. Seriously? Well, I'll make some. I'll make some with rain- rainbows and stuff. Oh, yeah. give them out. But, but on the whole, yeah, yeah. in life, nobody's accredited that training yet. Um, <laughs> so, so you've got stillness and then you've got listen. And then the, the third part is really, um, it's really the, the hardest, but also the most satisfying. And that is... Um, I just, I call it kind of, I guess, throwing cards. And so, you know, sometimes I feel like I have a deck of, of things that are in my head at times when I, when I'm teaching. And this is, this happened definitely while I was getting, becoming more developed as a teacher. And I just kind of throw a card out and maybe it would be an obscure reference and see how it landed. See if anybody caught it or picked it up and then throw another one in another, in the next class. And, you know, listen to what, my head was saying within this stillness and listen to what I was hearing that was really interesting to me just from outside influences or in, within my own brain. And then I throw that card out in a class or a private session. I just see how I felt about it because there is no right when it comes to, to being yourself. There is no right where it comes okay. to holding the space. Like they're just, it's about you being in your flow, connected to a sense of, again, that source energy. And people can see that. And, and mm-hmm. the thing about it is that if you have a glimpse of it and you're like, oh my gosh, I think that was it. Like I taught a class and I said something, nobody ran from the building and they asked me to talk a little bit more about it. That was amazing. Yeah. And then you go into your next class and you're like, I don't know how to do that again. It's all right. You know, it's all right. Yeah. And, and yeah. not, not every moment of stepping into this next part of being a human who teaches movement is going to be actual or fast or predictable. And a lot of times mm-hmm. the little tiny moments that you might not be even aware of are the, are the more important ones. They're actually leading up to what we're after, which is the aha. Uh-huh. So, Yeah. yeah. That's good. Good deal. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you what, I never cease to be surprised in these conversations, just when I think it can't get any better or richer or um, more interesting, it does. And this episode with Jenna was really sweet because it was a slightly different tone and focus than we've had most of the season. And dang, unfortunately, we forgot to ask her what she's celebrating in her practice this year. But we'll get around to that and we'll, we'll let you know. We'll keep you updated. 
Jenna's got some cool new things coming up. Um, she's going to be launching a new website June 1st. That's just days from now. And offering some classes in New York City. One uh, of her trademark classes called Unlock Your Creative Flow. And we're going to provide all of the links in the show notes for you. You can also find Jenna at jennasavino.com. And check out the podcast, Pilates Unfiltered. Because the more resources we have as teachers and as people teaching movement and being in relationship with others, the better we are. So just a few house cleaning things before we share a bit about Momentum Fest with you. Of course, we want to always encourage you to send us out some love if you're digging what we're up to. And you can do that several ways. The first way is... Um, really the most important way, the most impactful way is to write us a review on iTunes and you can just do that so easily right now and we'll love you forever. Um, (laughs) and so many other things you'll keep us going. You can also like us on Facebook. Other than that, um, check out the website. It's new and beautiful thinkingpilates.com and join the conversation. We so want to hear from you. Your comments and your ideas really keep us going and keep the podcast fueled with with really rich content. Reach out to us directly if you have any thoughts or or comments about what we're talking about or even who you would like us to bring onto the podcast. Of course, we've got a huge long list, but we want to know what you would like to hear about and who you'd like to hear from. So don't hesitate to email us. You can do that at thinkingpilatespodcast at gmail.com. Let me say that with more confidence. Thinkingpilatespodcast at gmail.com. The website is thinkingpilates.com. Like us on Facebook and leave us a sweet review if you're happy with the work that we're doing. Without further ado, uh, really quickly, in fact, Show notes, all the juicy tidbits that you'll need to learn what we are all up to and how to connect with Jenna. All that good stuff is there. And now I think that's it. All of the house cleaning is done. Oh, but not quite. We are now on Spotify. If you haven't seen that, um, check us out on Spotify too. Leave us a review on Spotify. Okay, I really feel like that's enough solicitation for the moment. We want to share with you a little bit more of the details for Momentum Fest, which is coming up just around the corner. We want to make sure that you are all in the loop around this awesome event that is coming up very, very, very soon. June 22nd through 24th, Momentum Fest. Momentum Fest is a celebration of movement and Pilates. It's happening at the Omni Interlochen Hotel and Resort just outside of Denver in Broomfield, Colorado. And there are tickets left. And if you are looking for something super fun and sweet and community building and you are kind of in a place where you're done listening to and having the conversation about what's right and what's wrong in Pilates or in movement, if you feel exhausted by the conversation about the differences even between classical and contemporary, and you're wanting to just lay all of that down and put it all aside and just celebrate having a body and being able to move and the joy that that creates, Momentum Fest is your jam for sure. I know a bunch of us from Northern California are going to be headed that way. It is going to be a sweet and delightful party of movement geeks. You can find out all of the information at MomentumFest.com. As I said, tickets are still available. Lots of classes, so many different options, uh, a lot, just a nice range of uh, fun movement exploration of course, our very own James Crater will be there teaching with Anula Myberg and Trina Altmund. Jessica Vallant, who is the founder of Momentum Fest, will also be teaching along with uh, a whole host of other teachers. So, I mean, three days of movement, mm-hmm. I don't know, it doesn't seem like a very hard decision to make. So check it out. We really want to encourage you to come out and just have fun and restore your faith and your love for movement and the movement community um, and lift 
lift each other up and be lifted. I mean, you know, what's better than that? So again, MomentumFest.com is where you get all of the information and you can grab your tickets. Uh, I think that there are no longer rooms available at the resort. However, lots of really good options close by um, and not, not that far from the city, not that far from Boulder. So um, accommodations are definitely not going to be an issue. I'm going to be there. I'm road tripping with my kids to Colorado from California, and I cannot wait. So if you're there, you get to get to hang out with me. <laughs> maybe that's a bonus, maybe not. Um, it's just going to be a delightful, delightful endeavor. Super loose, super awesome. So um, get your tickets. And voila, that is finally the end. Until next time, breathe deep and teach well.